Welcome to the Jazz Shapers podcast from Mishkondorea. What you're about to hear was originally broadcast on Jazz FM. However, the music has been cut or shortened due to rights issues. This is Jazz Shapers with Elliot Moss on Jazz FM. Listening colour. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. Good morning, this is Jazz Shapers. It's where the shapers of business join the shapers of jazz, soul and blues. I'm very pleased to say that my guest today is none other than Sophie Dean. You haven't heard of her yet, but you will by the end of this. She's the founder and CEO of a kids' media company. It's really cool. It's called Bright Little Labs. A former lawyer, Sophie retrained as a psychologist and she realised that children, particularly girls and minorities, needed positive role models in the STEM subjects, that's science, technology, engineering and mathematics. Sophie joined Code Club, a global network of free coding clubs where with Google and the Department for Education, she devised a nationwide training programme for primary school teachers in the new computing curriculum. She then worked on Code Club's international strategy in over 80 countries. Bright Little Labs was founded in 2015, aiming to inspire the next generation with interactive stories promoting critical thinking, computer science and equality for kids. They began as a Kickstarter project reaching over 30 countries and have since become a multiple award-winning STEM media technology business and their cabinet office backed to boot. We'll be talking to Sophie in a few minutes about all of this and her belief that stories are key to changing the future of the tech industry. We've also got brilliant music from, amongst others, Ray Charles, Art Blakey and Moonchild. That, ladies and gentlemen, is today's Jazz Shapers. I am very excited. Here's Art Pepper and Mambo Koyama. That was Art Pepper with Mambo Koyama, and I absolutely love that. I hope you did too. Sophie Dean, as billed earlier, is my business shaper. She's the founder of Bright Little Labs, doing clever things, telling stories to small children to help them understand all sorts of stuff about life. Hello. Hello. It's lovely that you came here. Now, tell me, you're a new business. You're four years in. What possessed you to set your own thing up? I never decided to do a business. So it's always been like a ball that's in front of me that I'm chasing. But I did want to do something about how kids see themselves and how they see the world around them through stories. And I do think that we need to think differently about how we're being educated and how we're preparing for the future. And so I just wanted to create a different story that was mainstream. I never really wanted to run a business. And I don't think I was, I still don't really want to run a business. <laughs> <laughs> You're the reluctant entrepreneur. But, but that specific want, that desire to say, you know what, I want to tell a different story, I want kids to learn a different way, where did that come from? Yeah. Well, I was working at the time in Wembley in London, which has got a very high Asian population. It's the second highest in England. And so all of my kids, half of them were female and about 80% of them were from Asian background. And I noticed that in their stories, they never saw themselves. They were never the leaders or the engineers or the scientists. And I started looking into representation in kids' stories. And about 15% of people in the whole world have white Caucasian skin. About 73% of characters in kids' stories have white Caucasian skin. The things that we're talking about in our story is really misleading. And then I worked at a tech company that uh, regulated the performance of the internet, which sounds dry, but was really interesting. And um, when I was introducing the computer science curriculum, I realized that everyone thinks of computer science as this geeky thing, like you've got to be probably a boy, math genius, sat in um, a dark room coding on your own. And 
parents who were thinking about teaching their kids computer science um, tended to come from more affluent backgrounds and know what it was. And so when I think of my family, they were like, they didn't go to university, so they were like lawyer, doctor or accountant. That's the goal, that's the dream. And so I wanted to make stories that um, made gave kids access to sort of digital skills so that they could be prepared for the future. And all kids, not just sort of kids from one type of background. And you you did that because somewhere deep in your gut that just felt like something you needed to do it strikes me that that, that you haven't actually had much of a choice in this in a weird kind of way um does it feel like that as you said you didn't want to set your own business up really you're doing it because you've got some kind of greater goal which is to help right wrongs by the sounds of it to me i guess i just i probably am not that strategic a thinker i just I wanted to make a different sort of story. I think that there's room for it. I think that if you look at the demographics in the world anyway, um, over half of the kids born in America now come from mixed-race families. So this sort of whitewashing of kids' media is no longer appropriate. So I thought the stories are important and relevant and that there is a really big market for it. And I didn't really think more than that. I just... I literally couldn't sleep one night and had the idea of um, Detective Dot and the Children's Intelligence Agency. And I told it to some kids in the morning and then it just sort of became a thing. I just want to go back a little bit. You were a lawyer. I touched on that briefly. Um, You did work in this tech company, which you said as it sounded dry, but it wasn't. When you decided to become a lawyer, what was driving that decision at that point, if you can remember? It was probably 10 years ago or so. I don't know. I just think that, I mean, I always cared about human rights. That sounds... I sound like... No, I think that's a lot of the reasons why many lawyers actually say, you know, you know, I wanted to be a lawyer and I joined Amnesty International when I was 15 years old. Did you? I did. Yeah. So it's exact. I, I absolutely... That sense of social justice for many lawyers I speak to yeah. is right there. So that was for you also kind of important. Yes, and I just think in my family it was... I don't know. I just think everyone said that I should be a lawyer because potentially was quite good at arguing at home. I I don't find that hard to believe actually Sophie and then but moving from there what made you then go do you know what this isn't for me it's so boring being a lawyer in a construction department of a massive law firm but um, I really enjoyed the sort of the thinking skills that it taught me Mm. and I actually really like information hierarchy so being super organized because I did a lot of filing I mean Mm. like a lot of filing and you had to label things correctly and be really organised in how you think about presenting information. And so I loved it, but I, obviously I'm not going to be a lawyer. I mean, if you knew me, you would think it's ridiculous. That I'm never going to care about a very specific point, ever. But then that, so that information hierarchy, as you call it, it's almost, I feel like that's skill one. So then you go and work for this, um, I think you were board secretary and HR manager in another business yeah. for a little bit, yeah. which is probably organising organizing and important and a bit legal. Yeah. Uh, and then you go and work for this uh, as chief strategic officer at the IT company you mentioned, Sam Knows. Yeah. Which is this whole point about uh, internet strategy for regulators and so on. What did you learn there? Oh, gosh, I learned so much there. Um, that company was growing really rapidly. I was brought on to help with admin, basically, and I was studying part-time. So this was all trying to support my studies because I was retraining. But the um, the company was winning contracts with different regulators across the world. 
And so I was learning about the infrastructure of the internet, that it's um, it's cables, it's not in the air, it's, it's not in the cloud, it's submarine cables going under the sea. And I learned about different countries and their approach to internet strategy, that only about half of the world even has access to the internet. And so who's writing the history when you go online and you're searching for things? It's just half of the world's version of events. But I also learned about a growing business. I learned about um, how to pitch the business to different clients. I saw firsthand how the CEO would approach business development. I learned so much in that company. And then the last, the, the bit before your business now was this um, point, which I also mentioned, working with Google and with the Department of Education on this Code Club world, as yeah. it was called. What did you take from that that then enabled you to add the other two pieces of skills to the final bit of the mix, which was Sophie arrives with her own idea? Code Club was really cool because it was a grassroots organisation. So um, the CEO, Claire, noticed that kids weren't learning computer science at school and so she created a curriculum and it was almost like a dating site so you have techies who work in business and schools who want someone to come and help them with the digital skills and we created a curriculum or Claire created a curriculum and then they would go and use it and because it was open source and anybody could download it and um, shape it to their own needs in their own schools it just sort of grew I hate this word exponentially it's, yeah, a good, it's a fast. good word though, Sophie. Fast. fast. Thank yes. you. <laughs> it was a curve that went up at quite a steep amount just before the roller coaster goes down the other side. Yeah. One of those. So um what when it started growing across the world, we started thinking about well, how do you teach a coding club in Kenya when electricity might not be sort of constantly available? And how do you retain the integrity of a brand that has um, been so successful because people can uh put their own sort of spin on it yes. to make it locally relevant to them. And so thinking about a big franchise was really interesting and also thinking about how to make sure that kids were engaging with it. So I loved Code Club. It was cool. Stay with me for much more. I've now given you the background as to why we're now sitting talking with Sophie Dean. What I haven't mentioned yet is that she has been the recipient of many accolades, whether it's the Innovator of the Year, British Interactive Media Association, Parkley's Every Woman Startup Founder of the Year, whether it's Most Influential Woman in UKIT, a lot of stuff. And that's what makes Sophie special, I guess. And you're going to find out a lot more after this. It's some words of advice from our programme partners at Mishkondria for your business. Hi, I'm Daniel Avener, CEO of MDR Brand Management, the fourth non-legal business entity that's been set up as part of the Mishkondorea Group. And we help companies build commercial value for their brands and intellectual property across the business world. Today, there have never been more complex challenges for companies in the global marketplace, especially when brand owners are looking to grow both in the UK and internationally. One area that should be considered when looking to expand your brand is brand licensing and franchise development. By harnessing the equity and the awareness of a brand, licensing and franchise development can often be an extremely cost-effective, low-risk strategy, one that can allow you to expand into new geographies and global markets, launch new product categories. It can be an effective marketing tool to create new connections and consumer messaging bring a brand to life through branded consumer experiences and also protect a brand owner's trademark. MDR Brand Management can assist in all aspects of the licensing and franchise process to ensure that you generate significant and long-term revenue streams for many years ahead. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM in partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. 
There are absolutely loads of ways for you to enjoy all our former Jazz Shapers and indeed to hear this programme um, with Sophie as well. Again, you can ask Alexa to play Jazz Shapers and there you can hear many of the recent programmes or just put the words Jazz and Shapers, not too complicated, into iTunes or your preferred podcast platform and you can enjoy the full archive and there's about 350, Sophie. So you've got a lot of time on your hands. You don't have got any. But if someone does have, they can listen to all of them back to back. That would take a bit of time. So Sophie Dean is my business shaper today, founder and CEO of the Kids Media Technology. I'm just making this up company. We can call it what we like, can't we? It's called Bright Little Labs. So you've done all this stuff suddenly and you've worked with governments, you've worked with big organisations, you've worked with an organisation which is looking at regulation. You now know that pipes go under the sea. I mean, amazing amount of structural information in your head. And you're supercharged because you are an information hierarchy goddess (laughs) as well. In those opening few months when you said, you know what, I'm going to do this thing, what did it feel like to sort of be no longer looking at the CEO, no longer looking around going, they're in charge, and actually feeling like you're in charge? I never really said I'm going to do it. So that didn't really happen. I went to this meetup and explained the idea to... It was like a local meetup for people that care about the supply chain and where their stuff comes from, which I care about. And somebody said, oh, what do you do? And I tried it. I was like, oh, I make this story, which didn't... Like, nothing really existed. And it turned out that she was from um, quite a high-profile charity. And she was like, could you do some... We're doing a pop-up event in Soho. Could you run some workshops there for teachers? And I was like, mm-hmm. And, um, so which charity was this? But I don't want to name it in case it makes her look bad. Okay. Like a big one. Okay. And um, <laughs> <laughs> It's very polite. You're very polite, Sophie. And so I went home and I was like, oh, okay, right. I need to make a website, like, right now. And curriculum materials. And the event was happening probably in two months from that date. And so what had been the beginning of an idea suddenly was a thing I needed to make for an event. And everything kept happening like that. Someone would introduce me to someone else. And they would say, oh, we love it. Can we have... A Bible. What's your? Can I have a show Bible, please? And I was like, mm-hmm. It's one of those, then. You had to quickly work that one out. <laughs> exactly. I was like, Brilliant. a Bible? Why would anyone want a Bible from entertainment? But actually, it doesn't mean the religious Bible. It means... No, I guess. Yeah. Because <laughs> it would be quite hard to write the religious Bible again, wouldn't it? I mean, yeah. and then also to make it original. Yeah. Because it's quite a bit, a bit derivative. Yeah. But the Bible about the, the specific elements of the program and what the characters did. Exactly. And the plot lines and all those sorts of things. Just give me a snapshot about this. We talked about it before, the, the CI, the, the Children's CIA. Intelligence Agency and... Detective Dot. Right. Just give me your... Who, who is Detective Dot for those people that don't know? She's an 11-year-old tech whiz from Wembley in London. And she's also a secret agent for the CIA, which is the Children's Intelligence Agency. Um, all of your listeners are probably too old to join. Uh, and she has a sidekick drone and... She's really good at sort of data analysis and sensing when people are moving about and spying, but she gets uh, very passive-aggressive if she doesn't have Wi-Fi or if she gets a bug. And she has another sidekick called Tumble who's obsessed with taking selfies, but often in the back of the selfies they capture the clues to the the adventures they're on with the CIA and then they have a nemesis called Shelly Belly and she's running a massive empire, like all of the big empires you might think of, but actually she wants your data so that she can get global mind control. And in this, in these stories that map out little animations and things, mm. you are essentially saying what to kids that are, that are watching? What are they enjoying about these stories? What are they learning? Well, they're really learning about the digital world that they live in. So it's not just computer science. For example, their weapon of choice is a selfie stick that releases a mega fart if it gets into enemy hands. And so it runs an authentication code on the thumb. So you can look at the code of that, you know, like what are the instructions? And we, we could use whatever language, it doesn't matter, we use pseudocode. Um, but you're also learning about fake news or how, how can you tell what's real and not real or what happens if your house is listening to you. So all of the issues around security and safety online, 
are very important if you're a top secret agent for the CIA. In terms of developing the storylines and all of that, I know now you've got a team of, I don't know how many, 15 people, yeah. give or take. And I, and I happen to look on the website and they have all these fabulous roles. I mean, it looks like a, a, a sort of fun playground for adults <laughs> to be children again. Is there a lot of that? Is the inner child in you not so inner at all? Is it just who you are? And is it, is it who the, all those people that you work with are as well? Because they all seem highly intelligent as well. I had a little scope around. They They've all got pro- proper professional people. Yes, they are all proper. Um, no, it's not. I mean, most of the time I'm just highly anxious about failing. So it's not like fun times at the office, especially if I'm there. <laughs> and why are you anxious about failing, Sophie? Because I really believe in what I'm doing and I feel that I've, I'm in a really privileged position and have every opportunity to succeed and I really care about um, using the platform that I've got and the voice that I've got. And so I, I really don't want to fail and I don't know exactly what I'm doing. So it's, it's a lot of pressure. And how do you balance the fact that obviously you are doing lots of good things and the fact that you need to believe in yourself that you can do more good things with that angst? Because the angst, is it you can channel it positively, but sometimes does it get the better of you? Where you stop, where you're paralysed a little bit? Or have you managed now to work through that? No, sometimes I am, but thankfully it's not just me. So I have I work in a team mm. and the team is great. And so... I just think that that's the nature of the role. I don't know, or probably it's it's quite a lot to do with me as well. But do they know when you're angsty though? Do they know and they can they support you? Because obviously, yeah, that, and they don't mind that. I mean, it's unusual. You're incredibly honest about your own vulnerability, which is a, a fabulous thing to hear actually. Because I meet many people who maybe aren't quite as honest about the fact that you know what they don't really know what they're doing to a point. In a, I don't mean <laughs> no, no, I don't. It's true. Yeah. But but is that is that actually quite liberating? And once they know that, do you th- do you actually think you get better outputs from them as a result? I don't know. They're all lovely people and very supportive and we all try and support each other. So I just, it just, it is what it is. I don't know what it's like to be somebody else. How would they, (laughs) that's a fair point, Sophie. How would they describe you, do you think? Actually, so we have an advisory board and I asked our chairperson to review me because I realised that I haven't had a review for like three years. And so I can tell you exactly what people think. So he asked everyone for three good things and three things I could work on. And they... In summary, they would say that I'm very passionate about what we're trying to do and just, like, go for whatever it is blindly and and probably a bit too blunt, a bit too literal sometimes. A bit too literal, but mm. the other two things were good. I mean, there were lots more bad things, but I'm sure you... I like bad things. I think this is quite, was quite revealing. It was like, I felt like I was in the room and you were getting your feedback, but you don't have to tell me. Stay with me for my final chat with um, Sophie Dini, the super honest Sophie Dini, my business shaper today. Plus, we'll be playing a track from Moonchild. That's all coming up, so don't go anywhere. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mish Kondorea. It's business, but it's personal. That was Moonchild with Be Free. I've got Sophie Dean with me just for a few more minutes. We've talked about this business a little bit. We haven't talked about the main investment partner at Turner and what the future holds. Tell me a little bit about how you and your vision are going to be brought to life now with a real beer moth of a company alongside you. So, yeah, it's really cool that we're partnered with Turner, who are now part of Warner Media because of the merger. Everyone's merging with everybody. Yes, exactly. These, these, these global beer moths, they really are. <laughs> So we're part of Warner Media Kids, I think, now. Okay. But um, Cartoon Network are obviously amazing. Well, in my view, they're amazing. 
Um, and so what we're doing now is working on the pilot animation. We have a three-book deal, uh, and the first of those books is launching in March 2020. Um, and we'll launch the pilot then too. Um, we're opening up in Kidzania in a couple of months' time, so you can be a real secret agent for the CIA there. We're basically creating a world for kids that exists wherever kids are. So a kid is agnostic whether they're watching it on YouTube or broadcast TV or if they're in like a supermarket. And so we are trialling out um, different ways to engage with kids in different physical and digital places. Are you um, able to measure how many children get to see this and then measure the impacts of those numbers? Because quantifying the the reach of it and then quantifying the impact of the reach yeah. is obviously critical. Is that something that you're very keen on? Yes, I'm, I'm really um, interested in uh, looking at media slightly differently. So if you have a direct relationship with kids, which we do through, if you're part of the CIA, the idea is that you, you can take training in cybersecurity or you can go on a mission. And we can see how kids are sort of developing along a competence and attitude path and use data about how they are engaging with us digitally to give them more personalised experiences. And so using data in that way to shape the media that we're making for them is really interesting. And we can track, I mean, it's interesting to also trying to track the move from a physical to the digital, mm. but we might have something like a chip in a CIA membership card that they tap their phone over and then something will pop up in their phone and we can track that data point. So yeah, data is a very big part of the business, half of the team are uh, techies. This job's never going to be over, Sophie. I mean, you realise you've <laughs> opened up yourself to a life of, Potentially, if you want to do this, you just keep going because this must be the right thing to do. Does, I, it, does it feel like that to you? Is I you want to do something about getting everybody, every all kids to sort of open their eyes, believe in themselves and question what's going on around them. And I don't really care how I get there. But I think education is extremely important and um, I love what I do because I hope that it will contribute to uh, kids accessing things that's important for them to access. So, yeah, I will, I will be working towards that forever probably. Um, good luck. Thanks. I, I, want, I want you to come back in in a few years, seriously, and we will talk about where you've got to because I've got a feeling this is, you are on to something enormous. I know you've already achieved a lot, but I think this is just the beginning. It's brilliant. Just before I let you go, what's your song choice and why have you chosen it? It's Grandma's Hand by Bill Withers. And basically I panic chose um, because <laughs> <laughs> it's such a big question. And it's a big question. I wanted to come up with something like meaningful and amazing, but I just really, this is a cool song. So, And I loved my grandma. She was wicked. Grandma's hands clapped in church on Sunday morning. Grandma's hands played a tambourine so well. Grandma's hands used to issue out a warning. She'd say, don't you run so fast Might fall on a piece of glass Might be snakes there in that grass Grandma that was the song choice of my business shaper today, Sophie Dean. It was Bill Withers with Grandma's Hands. A total original, someone who has come to the world with her own view of what it should be like and is doing her very best to make it so. Values-driven, intelligent, and someone who I think will be one to watch. So stay tuned to the progress of Sophie Dean. That's it from Jazz Shapers, though. Have a great weekend. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal.
We hope you enjoy that edition of Jazz Shapers. You'll find hundreds more guests available for you to listen to in our archive. To find out more, just search Jazz Shapers in iTunes or your favourite podcast platform or head over to mishcon.com forward slash jazzshapers. <laughs>